This is an AMI podcast. This is an AMI podcast. Are you ready? Let's go. From AMI Central. Now circling in the neutral zone. Here's the pitch on the way. 36 yards for the win. This. Here comes the big chance. The shot. Is, is this the dagger? The neutral zone. Oh, oh my God. This is as good as it gets. Now, here's your host, two-time Paralympian, Rock Richardson. I think I might have just scared one of my co-hosts just briefly, just seconds ago, and I'll explain why in mere moments. But I do want to say that there's one of us on this panel that is far more in fashion than the rest of us, and that's because she made an appearance on Fashion Dis on Wednesday, and if you haven't seen the episode, you can go to ami.ca, and she is, like, literally on the front page, and you can watch the episode. It was great. Let's bring in that co-host and find out how the experience was. Claire Buchanan, Claire, how are you? I'm doing fantastic. It's uh, it's definitely been a uh, busy week with the episode coming out, and it was one of the coolest experiences that uh, I've been able to get, be a part of, and for something like this to come out and kind of put the highlight on the disabled community with in the fashion industry is is pretty cool. Yes, it's very cool. Now, if you're uh, if you haven't seen the episode, I'll give you a couple of seconds to uh, mute me for a second because I'm going to ask Claire a specific question to the episode. Coming down in two, one. Is the hair still blonde? Yes or no? I haven't seen you in person lately, so I don't know. No, it is not. I even before the show, my good part of my adult life, I've I've changed up my hair color quite a bit here and there. And so um, blonde was a lot of fun. And it uh, it's a little more high maintenance than than I am as an individual. So um, switched back to my dark hair recently. Um, but yeah, I had a blast both on the show and and feeling like I'm a little bit of a different person for a little while. And I I did realize that blondes do have a little bit more fun. Yes, that is, uh, I've heard that from blonde friends that I have as well, uh, that they do have more fun, and so it's uh, it's good times. And if you haven't seen the episode, go to ami.ca, and it's on the front page. Claire did this past Wednesday's episode. Now, before I bring in the other co-host, I want to say that my, part of my intro at the beginning of the show has always been based on... Um, my mentor, who, for those of you that don't know, is Kelly McDonald, and him and I kind of laugh and say, oh, we don't really know what we're going to come up with off the top of the show or how we're going to phrase things, and so we kind of kibitz, and so I have one question for one Josh Watson. First of all, how are you? And secondly, did I scare you a little bit, and did I do okay on the intro that you had no idea if I had it framed properly <laughs> in my head or not? Hello, Brock. Hello, Claire. Yes, you did a fantastic job, as you always do. Uh, I am doing well. It's been a busy week uh, between watching sports, watching the Olympics, work, because I do work full time, even though I, I get to work from home, which I'm, I'm grateful that my employer does that. And also, of course, we, we can't ignore what's going on in the real world, quote unquote, and the situation in Ottawa. So it's been a very, very busy week. So glad to be here. Glad to be able to put everything aside and just talk about sports and uh, have some fun. Absolutely. We're going to have some fun on the show. Let's start with our headlines for this week. Let's start off by giving you an update on how the Olympics have gone for Team Canada. Currently, the medal count sits at 24 with four gold medals, seven silver and 13 bronze. We will be breaking down the Olympics a little bit later on in the program, so stay tuned for that. This year's Super Bowl has defied the television trends by drawing more viewers than last year. Let's take a listen to this Canadian press clip. Got it! Touchdown! A big win for the Rams and for NBC. Sunday Super Bowl averaged 99.2 million viewers on the NBC broadcast, up 4% from last year. 
Add in the broadcast on Telemundo and you get 101.1 million. Add streaming and everything else and the final number is 112.3 million. The most watched Super Bowl in five years. NBC also says it was the most streamed Super Bowl of all time. As for the halftime show, West Coast makes some noise. it averaged 103.4 million viewers, up 7% from last year. Jason Nathanson, ABC News, Hollywood. I do wonder how many of those viewers for the halftime show were in the range of 90s kids because that was a 90s geared halftime show and it was uh, fun to watch what NBC put together and I think this is the first time in my 31 year existence on this earth that NBC has done a Super Bowl and so I really enjoyed it and I would love to see NBC do a little more in the future. I was definitely one of those 80s or 90s kids that was dancing through the halftime show. And a big congratulations goes out to the LA Rams. Uh, receiver Cooper Cup for winning this year's Super Bowl MVP. He also won Offensive Player of the Year this year. And this is talking about a guy that had zero college offers coming out of high school. That, taking words from Fred Van Vliet, is betting on yourself. That is something I didn't know. That is crazy. Speaking of crazy, bad segue, I know. If forced to choose, Novak Djokovic said he would skip the French Open and Wimbledon, foregoing the chance to overtake Rafael Nadal's record haul of 21 Grand Slam titles. This, he says, he would skip rather than getting vaccinated against COVID-19. The number one ranked tennis player also is still smarting about being deported last month from Australia in a drama about his vaccination status that had opinions polarized worldwide. I, for one, would be glad if he decided just to forego things. I wouldn't even mind if he retired, unfortunately. I I do think he's a great tennis player. Don't get me wrong. It would be great if he continued to play. But... There are consequences to every action, and without going down a whole rabbit hole, Novak, do what you want to do. It's your body, it's your life, that's fine, but there are things that you have to understand when it comes to being a part of society, and one of them is sometimes you have to get vaccinated against diseases that are otherwise deadly. Couldn't agree with you more. Those are your headlines for this week. Let's check in on our Twitter poll questions. Let's go back to last week's question. Who would win the Super Bowl? 60% of you said the Cincinnati Bengals and 40% of you said the LA Rams. If we look at this week's question, are you watching the Olympic Games? Yes, or it's a challenging time difference. Now, if you're on Twitter and you see that I didn't write out the whole world difference, I, it's symbolized with just D-I-F, and that is the the answer there that you would select. So go to our Twitter handles, which will be given out in a bit on the program to cast your votes, and we'll give you those results next week. Uh, coming up next, we're going to discuss a little bit about para-ice hockey. We all have some uh, experience around the table, uh, at least within the game, or playing it themselves. So stay tuned for that fascinating conversation and much, much more over the next hour right here on The Neutral Zone. We'll be back. All right, everybody, huddle up. There are five ways to get in touch with The Neutral Zone on Twitter. Number one, at AMIAudio. Number two, at NeutralZoneBR. Number three, at NeutralZoneCB. Number four, at NeutralZoneCamJ. And number five, at JWatson200. Now get out there and tweet one for the gipper. Welcome back to the Neutral Zone right here on AMI-audio. I'm your host, Brock Richardson, and I'm joined by Claire Buchanan and Josh Watson. And guys, there's nothing like right in the middle of your intro being like, oh, got a swallow there. That's what I had a little bit of a uh, 
pause there. Um, <laughs> but uh, I just want to say that we've been having uh, some some fun with these uh, segments that we've been doing, and we've been covering all the para sports or most of them because I don't believe we covered all of the summer ones just based on time, but we've been covering all of the winter parasports, and we'll do this once every two or four years just to remind everyone what's going on. And before we get into uh, para ice hockey, I just want to uh, publicly thank uh, Josh Watson for uh, helping me put together these segments. Him and I collaborated in putting these together, so I appreciate it very much, Josh, and we're about to embark on the last one for the winter sports, and it's para ice hockey, and we'll kick it off with Claire with history. Yeah, before I start off, if uh, you haven't gone and checked it out yet, the men's para team has been selected for Beijing, so head over to the Hockey Canada website, and you can see who made the cut for uh, heading to Beijing in a couple weeks. Para ice hockey is a direct descendant of stand-up ice hockey. Uh, it was invented at a rehab center in Stockholm, Sweden, during the early 1960s by a group of Swedes who, despite their physical impairment, wanted to continue playing the sport of hockey. The men ended up modifying a metal frame sled or call or sledge with two regular sized ice hockey skate blades that allowed the puck to pass underneath. Using the round poles with bike handles for sticks, the men played without any goaltenders on a lake south of Stockholm. The sport caught on, and by 1969, Stockholm had a five-team league that included players with a physical impairment and able-bodied players. That same year, Stockholm hosted the first international para-ice hockey match between a local club and one from Oslo, Norway. During the 1970s, teams from these two countries played around once or twice a year. Several other countries began to slowly establish their teams, including Great Britain in 1981, Canada in 82, USA in 1990, and Estonia and Japan in 1993. Two Swedish national teams played an exhibition match at the inaugural 1976 Paralympic Winter Games in Sweden. Para-ice hockey became an official event at the Lillehammer 1994 Paralympic Winter Games. And since its debut there in 1994, the Paralympic version of ice hockey has quickly become one of the largest attractions for spectators. It is fast paced, highly physical, and played by male and female athletes with a physical impairment in the lower body part of their body. The sport is governed by the IPC with coordination by the World Para Ice Hockey Technical Committee. There's quite a lot of equipment that goes into playing para-ice hockey, as we all know. Uh, because of the physical nature of the game, all players are required to wear a helmet with a full cage or mask. Players are also encouraged to wear protective padding, including shoulder pads, shin guards, elbow pads, and large padded gloves. In addition, goalkeepers wear leg pads, large shoulder pads, a helmet with a cage, a catching glove, a blocker, to protect the athlete from pucks, which in some leagues can get up to 100 kilometers an hour. Much like in stand-up hockey, the puck is made of vulcanized rubber or another material, which is approved. The puck is 2.54 centimeters thick with a diameter of 7.62 centimeters and weighs anywhere between 156 to 170 grams. The sledge that Claire made mention of is now made of aluminum or steel and is 88 centimeters minimum in length with a curved front end and a seating system called a bucket, which is where you, you sit. The sledge is set on two blades, which are usually made of tempered steel and are each approximately three millimeters thick. The puck must be able to pass underneath the sledge. The height of the main frame must be between eight and a half and nine and a half centimeters above the ice, and the length of the blade may not be more than one third of the total length of the sledge. It may be equipped with a backrest, but it must not protrude laterally beyond the armpits when the player is properly seated. Straps secure a player's feet 
ankles, knees, and hips to the sledge. The sticks in para-ice hockey uh, are two sticks with hooked blades at one end for puck handling and ambidextrous shooting, and they feature a pick at the other end. Each stick has a maximum length of one meter and is made of carbon fiber or fiberglass. Some of us still hold on to our old wooden sticks, but that's another story. The blade has a maximum length of 32 centimeters, except for the goaltender's stick, which has a maximum length of 39 centimeters. Uh, sorry, that's the goaltender's blade of his stick, pardon me. The pick end of the stick must not damage the ice surface or inadvertently puncture or slash other players, so the following rules do apply. No part of the pick or teeth may come to a sharp point. The pick must not extend more than a centimeter anywhere beyond the stick. The pick must have at least six teeth, each with a maximum length of 47 millimeters. The goaltender may have an additional pick at the base end of his stick. Very cool. And uh, we'll get into that pick in a little bit because I have a specific <laughs> note about the pick in a bit that we will cover. But let's uh, discuss the uh, classification piece. And in pair ice hockey, there is only one classification. Athletes must have an impairment in the lower part of their body that would prevent them from competing in able-bodied ice hockey. Players, for example, have um, um, as adaptations, as I try to get that word out, adaptations affecting their legs, stiffness of the ankle, knee joint, or leg length. Now, the leg length different must be at least 7 centimeters. Players also must have weakness in their legs, for example, due to paraplegia. So that is some of the classification pieces there. And I did not know the 7 centimeter uh, leg difference must be a thing, which is uh, uh, interesting to know. Um, having said that, let's uh, talk a little bit about uh, how to play. Now, hockey, as we mentioned here, is much similar to uh, stand-up hockey and able-bodied hockey. There is The object is to score a goal on the other side of the uh, rink, which is the same length as a uh, conventional hockey rink, unless it's Olympic ice, and then it would be a bit wider. Uh, let's talk a little bit about something called T-boning, and Josh, you're going to cover that off for us. Yes, so in the sport of para-ice hockey, there is a particular rule, which is different than the traditional rules you might see in stand-up hockey, like hooking or slashing or any of those things. And it is, as you mentioned, called T-boning. Basically, what this means is that a player is not permitted to come and hit another player at a 90 degree angle. It can be, you know, 89, 88, maybe 85 degrees, but definitely not 90. That That is a penalty. And the reason for that is that, at least I think, um, that a lot of us don't have full sensation in our legs. And so it can be very dangerous to hit someone uh, at a 90 degree angle because you can really hurt them. Um, I've, I've been hit many times in, in various ways uh, as both a winger and a defense, well, sorry, not a defenseman, but a goaltender. And yeah, the, the 90 degree angle hits the T-boning really hurts if you're uh, the victim of one of those hits. So that is uh, how it works. It is a two minute minor penalty. Um, I don't believe anybody's ever gotten a major for it but definitely a two-minute minor yeah it's um i've seen it and even the impact when you talk about the uh, 90 degree angle when you hit someone at that 90 degree angle that sound and that impact can be pretty uh significant and you don't want to see people with uh you know 
possibly broken legs and and things like that. It, it seems to be the one rule that um, coaches seem to really want referees to be aware of. Sometimes you see it not called as you do in in conventional <laughs> hockey as well, but Sometimes. it's one of the ones. <laughs> okay, I was trying to be nice about it, but it's uh, <laughs> a may, lot maybe of they definitely get away with it. That's for sure. Maybe uh, maybe they weren't so good in math and they not necessarily know if it was exactly ninety degree angle, but um, we can argue that any day of the week. Something that <laughs> caught my attention when we were doing the debrief was that um, the sticks and how they're sharp and how it said that they're not meant to be stuck into the ice, damaging the ice, picking other players. And so, Claire, those are the only things the sticks are used for, right? (laughs) (laughs) That's a tricky question. Uh, Yes, they are only (laughs) supposed to stay impacting the ice surface itself. Um, With being so close to the ground and, and having the game all kind of very close to the ice and and all together and with all that equipment in the same area, um, whether (laughs) intentional or not, those picks definitely end up a, uh, across some skin or, uh, some equipment. I've, I've gone through many pairs of socks, hockey socks, um, just because they, they get picked a lot and it's, it's hard to avoid, but, um, yeah, it could be pretty painful if, uh, if they get, under your equipment. No they kidding. Certainly can. I've I had an unfortunate incident before I even got on ice once where a fellow lost his balance, put his hand down to stop himself and forgot that he was holding his stick and his pick landed on my bare hand and oh. left me with a nice uh, nice mark. Yeah. So. Yeah, I've seen some I've seen some marks on people that that I would imagine were not because the pick was just left in the ice, um, but it, yeah, it can be very dangerous there for sure. For sure. I mean, let's just say that we've all come off the ice more than once in our hockey lives going, where'd that red mark come from? Isn't that <laughs> wild that you, you sometimes you don't realize until you're in the locker room? It's all that adrenaline rushing through the game that you go into the locker room and you take off your gear and there's a good couple inch cut across your body and all, all of a sudden it stings because you're not playing the game anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Good old adrenaline. Good old adrenaline. Just quickly, before we uh, wrap this segment up, I just want to get both of your thoughts on this. And Josh, we'll start with you. What's your favorite part about the sport uh, overall? Well, I have had the opportunity to play both as a winger and as a goaltender. And for me, it's the speed and the skill. Um, the, the the speed is, is one aspect that's kind of eluded me over the years, but, you know, I, I get around as best I can. But just the, the, the action and really for me, it's the opportunity to, to just play the sport. I was given an opportunity when I was very young to play stand-up hockey as a goalie briefly uh, with like five and six-year-old kids. And that was fun. But once I got into sledge hockey and found out like, hey, I, I don't just have to be a goalie, it was, it was a lot of fun. My favorite part of the game is the creativity, whether it be uh, puck handling or shooting or even the way that players set up their sleds and their sticks. And uh, it's it's pretty cool to see how evolved the game has come. And it's it's really cool that you we get to use both hands to be creative with the puck and and our game. And it's it's wild. Some of the things that uh, these players can do with the puck and at at such a high speed uh, with both hands. I think that's the thing that's kind of uh, stood out to me over the years is people don't realize how hard some of those shots can come at you. I mean, I know our very own Cam Jenkins has said 
many times on this program that when Billy Bridges would shoot from inside the blue line, it was like, I'm just going to move and let him score because it, <laughs> it's going to hurt anyways. So Billy's one of those guys you get out of the way. <laughs> yeah, he's coming yeah. in, so I'm going to get out of the way. Right, and so I think that's just kind of the the thing that's not known about about the sport, and shouldn't be taken for granted that people don't shoot as hard because they do. Yeah, as as a goaltender, I can tell you, yes, they do. <laughs> it's yeah. it's it's quite remarkable. Yeah, and and from as low to the ground as they are, you know. Uh, you know, with their sled and being on the ice and how high those pucks can get up sometimes is also uh, really fun to watch. So catch sledge hockey and, as Claire mentioned, go to uh, the um, Hockey Canada website to find out who was so lucky to make the national program. Lots of veterans on that team and some newcomers as well. So uh, that's a little bit about para ice hockey, which you can catch at the games coming up very soon coming up next i'm gonna get my panel a little bit riled up we're gonna talk a little bit about camila valieva who was cleared to play in the women's free skate after testing positive for a drug that was part of the team event so we'll talk about that and whether she should or shouldn't have been part of the event stay tuned we'll be right back If you want to leave a message for the Neutral Zone, call now, 1-866-509-4545. And don't forget to give us permission to use your message on the air. Let's get ready to leave a voicemail! Buckle up for this segment um, because I can tell you, and I'll pull back the curtain a little bit and tell you that originally this topic was uh, in segment four, and then at 3 a.m. the other night, why I was awake at 3 a.m., I will never know, but at 3 a.m. the other night, I'm thinking, you know what? This topic needs to be moved up because we have a little bit of a less time constraints in segment three as we don't with segment four and I know exactly what I'm doing with this segment and getting uh, my co-host a little bit riled up and it's fun and these are the days that I enjoy you know being producer because I can kind of you know wring my hands together and get excited so here's the topic (laughs) Russian teenager Camila Valieva was cleared to compete in the women's figure skating competition, which was the free program, despite testing positive pre-Olympic Games for a heart medication she took. Now, they did announce that they would not have a medal ceremony for the uh, team event because there was still some investigating going on. Now, she's 15 years old, so she is a minor, and that is part of the narrative here, and I will have much to say on that as we go along. Um, But, guys, just thoughts overall on this. What did you make of it, Claire? It's just frustrating that it seems like every Olympics, uh, and maybe not so much in the Paralympic Games uh, right now, but... Every Olympics, it feels like Russia and their any. There's always something going on with Russia when the Olympics come around, and it's frustrating because it takes so much away from the other athletes, and it's also mind-boggling that it continues and that they aren't facing consequences of their actions. Yeah, this this is a huge black eye for the Paralympic, uh, excuse me, for the Olympic movement, in my opinion. We talked an, a few weeks ago now about how we want clean sport. We want 
an even playing field. And whether we are putting our athletes to too high a standard is is a conversation we've already had. And I certainly took a, a, a rather controversial view of that. So check that out on our podcast. But when it comes to this sort of thing, you go into the Olympics believing that you are up against other athletes who are following the same rules as you. And make no mistake, from the moment you start making the Olympic team, and Brock, I know you're going to talk to this in a little bit, you are taught, don't take anything if you aren't sure what it is. Now, my personal thinking is that this is probably a parent or a coach or someone even higher that has told her, take this. But she's also 15. She's old enough to know the rules and to say, I don't know if this is right. And clearly she didn't do that. This controversy keeps coming up, um, even outside of sport with the age of individuals. And it's like you said, Josh, if you think back being 15 or even 14, yes, you made some bad decisions maybe at that age, but you were able to think it through and realize that there are consequences. So it's, it's really mind boggling that, uh, even if she was told to take it or not, that, um, that it still happened. And it's, I'm wondering why it takes so long for these drug test results to come out. If she was tested back at a different competition, it's frustrating to have to wait so long for these results to come out. And then they come out while you're competing at the Olympics. And I think the other thing we do want to clarify here is it wasn't necessarily the IOC, as I understand it, that allowed her to compete. It was the Center for Arbitration in Sport. That's why you saw the IOC say, if she wins a medal, we're not having a medal ceremony. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, this one, this one hits very close to home for me. And as I, you know, I, I, I look at this and I say, I started my journey with the national bocce program at the age of 16. Uh, that was the minimum age that I could be part of their program. I had, I had a year before, um, before the Paralympic games, I would have been just 18 at the Paralympic Games, and when you go through to the Paralympic Games, and I spoke about this on uh, the Voices segment on Kelly and Company, so um, go back and check that out as well. But when you are an athlete, and every four years you need to do these same modules every single time, same thing, they reword questions, it's video, it's all that stuff, and you have to get like, 12 out of 15 or 13 out of 15 in order to pass. Otherwise, you have to keep taking it. And in this, and this is a Canadian Paralympic Committee thing, so I can't speak for Russia at all here on this, but as for the Canadian Paralympic Committee, they tell you in as much words, I'm not mincing words, basically that if you take drugs, it is on you and you only and the Canadian Paralympic Committee reserves the right to broadcast the fact that you took these drugs. And albeit they put it professionally and they say, you know, if you do this, this, this is liable to ruin your career, et cetera, et cetera. So I don't buy the argument for one second. Oh, she's 15. Oh, she, she's, she's young. She's this. She, no, 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 no. When you are an Olympian, a Paralympian, you need to learn to grow up quicker than the average person. You cannot play the naive card. You do not reserve that right. If you are mature enough to go to the Olympics or Paralympic Games, you are mature enough to know what is going in your body. And every time my doctor would fill out my puffer and I would have to use a therapeutic use exemption form, he would hand it back to me and say, now, you make sure this gets handed into the right people. 
because I'm not going to be on the hook for this. I'm not going to allow you to point the finger at me. That's just not happening. So I don't buy it. I don't think she should have skated at all. I, I, you know, I get it. This was not an IOC decision, but she had no, no reason to skate. She took an illegal drug. It was found in her system. Therefore, you do not earn the right to then skate. And the narrative of being, oh, she's 15, doesn't fly with me at all. So, Josh, here's the question I ask you. Are we at the point now where, whether we call them Olympic athletes from Russia, Russian Olympic athletes, whatever you want to short-formally call them, are we at the point now where they have to be removed from the games until they learn their lesson, as I put it, as I heard it on, you know, CBC this week? Or do we need to look at this and say, yeah, it's happening more around than we think. It's just that Russia has more of a spotlight put on them, given what we know. Well, I mean, this... Where, where do you even start with this? I mean, Russia has a history of this. And if you don't think it's sophisticated, and if you don't think that it's statewide, so to speak, so to speak which apparently I can't speak today. Mm. Um, check out the movie Icarus from 2017. It's a movie about a Russian uh, scientist or doctor who helps an athlete in the sport of cycling start doping, and it expands from there as Russia gets caught back in 20, 2017 or 2016 possibly, uh, doping. The whole concept of, oh, we're, we're going to ban them from using their name and their flag? Come on. Everybody knows that ROC stands for Russian Olympic Committee, meaning they are Russian athletes, meaning they are from Russia. Short of kicking them out of the games and saying, until you stop this you can't compete i don't know what other choice we have i completely agree with you josh i think they've tried to give them chances to turn this around over the last uh, few games and they haven't they're just trying to find different ways to get around this and i think at the end of the day i i i don't know why the International Olympic Committee doesn't have more power over this. I, they should be able to tell Russia not to compete. It shouldn't be on uh, just one governing body. The, I, the Olympic Committee should have more power over this so that in the future that it doesn't happen again. And like you said, they still get to go to the games and maybe not have the flag on the front of their jersey, but they still get to represent their country despite all this. And as athletes ourselves that have competed clean and who have tried to compete at the highest level without trying to go through loopholes uh, and put even taking medications that are over the counter Mm -hmm. um, avoiding those when you have a cold or, mm -hmm. um, when you aren't feeling well, because you just don't want to take that risk. Um, it's disappointing. And I, it's, it's gotta, someone's got to put their foot down and, and have a little more power over this situation. I was, um, doing some reading on this topic and athletes who, um, as an individual, depending on, you know, the severity of what you do or, you know, um, how, how far you, you bent the rule, basically, that can result in punishment. That, that can result in you yourself being banned from the games as a singular athlete because you made a decision that wasn't within the lines of, of sport. So, for me, if that's still the case, which it is, that an individual could get banned from the games, then to me, 
a country needs to also get banned from the games. And I do understand the narrative of, well, okay, but it's not just happening in Russia. They're, they've got a spotlight on them, but they're not learning their lesson. I know for me that if I was one of those athletes, I don't think I couldn't do it. I, it's not even that I don't think I could. I know I couldn't do that. And so I think it's time that we really do have the discussion of whether Russia does deserve a spot in the Olympic Games or whether they don't. And I mean, maybe this is part of me being a bit naive in life. I mean, I was appalled when I learned uh, I was watching part of a documentary that CBC was doing over these games. And they were talking about how Russia in Sochi was using like this secret wall that they built um, that would allow them to put in the, the clean urine specimens versus their words, not mine, the dirty ones. And to me, that screams nothing more than premeditated. And if it goes to that level, there's no place for you or anyone at the games at any level to be there. So I think it's about time that we determine whether they deserve a spot. And I think we're getting to the point where we need to say, no, they don't until they learn the lesson. Having said that, we're going to take a break here on the Neutral Zone and we're going to uh, talk a little bit more about some of the other storylines that have come out of the uh, Olympic Games. Is 24 medals so far a success for Canada? Why or why not? We discuss right after the break here on the Neutral Zone. Stay with us. talking about um, sledge hockey in segment two or para ice hockey um, and we were talking about 90 degree angles in um, in para ice hockey and how if it's at a 90 degree angle then it's t-boning and it just dawned on me what I was trying to look for earlier in saying that maybe some of the referees didn't do so well during the uh, protact protractor point of math class and that's why it can be a bit of a challenge to determine what is 89 degrees and 90 albeit so very fine welcome back to the neutral zone here on ami audio we always have a ton of fun commercial breaks on the show wherever we just have a ton of fun lots of laughs lots of uh, controversial topics as we just discussed in the previous segment uh, there's a couple of things in this segment that i want to get both of your takes on and the first one we'll start with Claire as we mentioned at the headlines earlier on in the program Canada has 24 medals overall I think there's still some opportunity to get a few more but uh, most of the teams are either out or done in the tournament that are left so would you consider this a success yes or no Claire absolutely I for one, have never been really one to track the total number of medals um, when it's concerning uh, Canada. Um, I've just been a big fan of watching any sport and just cheering on Canada. But I mean, at the end of the day, uh, I am a bit biased being a hockey player. Our women's hockey team pulled it out and brought the gold back to Canada after losing it four years ago. And it's a, uh, It'll be interesting to see if in the future, moving forward, if the NHL continues to uh, make the decision for the players, whether to be able to compete or not. And uh, yeah, it's been an exciting games and I am pumped for the Paralympic games to start here soon. I absolutely think it's a success. I read a tweet from uh, De uh, Devin, Devin Haru earlier today saying that the the forecast for this games was actually 22 medals so i i think 24 is amazing and that you know uh, the the chance for even more than that is is awesome i think it's what's impressed me the most is where some of the medals have come from they they seem to have come from some of these what we'll call x games sports some of the the ski cross and the half pipe and some of the newer Olympic events, as opposed to some of the more traditional ones. Although we did see where we got a medal in ski jumping. Like, 
when has Canada ever been relevant in ski jumping? But apparently we are now. And I think that's absolutely amazing. We've certainly had our, our disappointing sports like the men's hockey, uh, like the women's curling, uh, like the men's curling. Um, but overall, I think this is a resounding success and, you know, congrats congratulations to Katrina LeMay-Doan and the, the Canadian Olympic Committee for, for the team that they've been able to bring forth to Beijing. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. I think that this is a successful game. Certainly there are some uh, scenarios where you would have thought or expected there to be a different color, but it just doesn't always happen. And when you're at the highest level, sometimes these things just don't happen. And, and you know, they were talking about in the Brad uh, Gushu bronze medal game that he ultimately won, you know, when he lost to Great Britain in the, um, oh no, sorry, Sweden in the semifinal, you know, they had mentioned that even on a day where they could have played their best game and there was some shots missed, but even if they played 100%, that's a tough team to, to beat on any given day, let alone on the, the Olympic stage. So I just think there's some, some situations that could have gone an inch either side and it would have been different. Uh, credit to Katrina LeMay-Doan, who uh, was around basically any sport that I would turn on. Um, they would mention that she's been around the sport and she's supporting of the athletes and she got it. She had a drum that was given to her um, by uh, China when she entered. So, I mean, it, it, she's just been banging it. She's been supportive. And when you have a chef de mission who is at the forefront and part of that, that's really important as well. So uh, really good, um, good, good event overall. The other one that I uh, wanted to discuss was that um, I saw a Facebook post from our old colleague, uh, Brett Wills, who said uh, that he thought that the men's tournament was, quote, underwhelming. Do we agree, disagree? Now, before I bring this person in on this, Claire, you had an interesting response to his post and saying that, you know, he... You thought that this was, speaks to the depth of uh, the women's uh, program. Can you just kind of share your thoughts over the air in regards to that? Absolutely. Uh, I mean, the difference from four years ago to now with the women's team is they just have a lot more depth. Their rookies were scoring and producing uh, points right off the bat. And specifically, when you look at a player like Sarah Nurse, Four years ago, she rallied one point in the games. And this games, she had 18 points and was breaking records that Haley Wickenheiser set. And to see a player come back and get that much better for a team and also to see the rookies producing and the coaching staff said that it's one of the most uh, – fit and fastest teams that they've ever had. I'm excited for the future of the, this team specifically. And uh, it'll be interesting to see uh, where Poulin is in four years. And uh, with her, again, scoring the golden goal of, of winning that gold medal is it's incredible what she, what she does for the team. Yeah. The, the thing that I think he was, maybe getting at was the performance of the men's team specifically. But I mean, when you look at it, we still had people from all corners of Canada uh, playing hockey. We still had professional players. We still had players who had just retired from the NHL. So it's not as if we had a bad team or, or an underwhelming team, in my opinion. I think the other teams they ran up against were just better. And you know what? That's not bad for the game. Just like we keep talking about in the women's game, how we want to see other countries develop their squads, it's it's the same with with men's teams as well. You want the other nations of the world, when these Olympics come up, 
to to have the their best players uh, come forward. And it's unfortunate that the NHL players couldn't be a part of the team this year, but we still had AHL players. We still had KHL players. We still had uh, we we still had recently retired players. So. I, I disagree that it was underwhelming. I thought it was interesting. The thing that I do want to briefly bring up is what I liked about the women's game and the women's tournament over the men's is how much excitement you see from them. With the men's team, you score a goal, it's like you tap gloves and off you go. The women were like cheering and excited, and it, that that to me was the biggest difference and the thing I enjoyed the most about both tournaments. Yeah, I mean, I would say it was a tale of two tapes when you compare the men to the women. The The men were smothered uh, defensively uh, by Sweden in that quarterfinal game, and it was only, a, uh, you know, a 2 nothing game. And then the women did the exact same thing to their opponent. They smothered them and then took their chances on offense and uh, got advantage of it. And someone like Sarah Fillier, what a future for Hockey Canada, and you did not know her name necessarily before the event, but you do now. Before we wrap up the show, I just want to uh, give kudos to our technical producer, Sam Robinson, for the last uh, four weeks, who's been filling in for Matt Agnew. We appreciate you uh, coming on, keeping us on the air, and uh, making sure we sound good. So thank you very much, Sam. Matt Agnew will return next week. Um, And that is the end of our show for this week. I'd like to thank... Josh Watson, Claire Buchanan. I'd also like to thank our technical producer, Sam Robinson, who's been filling in for Matt Agnew. I'd also like to thank our technical supervisor, it's Paula Deneen, and our manager of AMI Audio, of course, is Andy Frank. Tune in next week because you just never know what happens when you enter the neutral zone. Be safe and have a great long weekend in Ontario, and we'll talk to you next week. This was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, visit AMI.ca.